All right, welcome back to another episode. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we are going to introduce you to our special guest. And because nepotism is king here, we've got uh, Xander Boyce, and we interviewed his sister, and she said, we'll beat you up. If you don't let our, my brother on. So here we are. So Xander, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, you know, six foot two. I like long walks. And, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm. And yet I'm, your uh, sister thinks she could beat you up and she's tiny. <laughs> yeah, she, she definitely cannot. Uh, I, yeah. So I, um, I worked with special forces uh, for a little while, mostly doing pickup of, of digital intelligence um when i was in the coast guard they uh would follow around the seals and pick up all the cell phones that all the were on the ground <laughs> for various reasons everything they <laughs> dropped they just randomly dropped things oops they, they do it's just it happens all how the time. did that a p3 player get there i don't know <sighs> yeah just you know it, magic tech just dropping out of the sky um uh, so then I, before that, I was, uh, or before and after, I guess I've done IT work. Uh, and then, I don't know, I just do all sorts of random stuff. <sighs> Scuba dive, skydive. Long walks on the beach, yeah. apparently. Long walks on the beach. I do love long walks to the beach. I miss the beaches. Uh, miss good beaches, anyway. Yeah, you live up in uh, in a weird country of Washington, where yeah. all the beaches are really, really cold. They are. I miss. I miss Florida. I was stationed in Pensacola for a while, and I miss. <sighs> I miss. Those, you know what the those beaches. Living in Savannah, the best part was the pools were open all but two months of the year, Ooh, and nice. water in December off in the ocean was like ninety-eight degrees. Right. No, I, like always bathwater warm in the Caribbean. Yeah. Always. <laughs> What, JR? It's not our fault we didn't burn up in the sun like a vampire. I can't help myself. But but at least you have glorious weather in Washington, right? Where it's either raining, fixing the rain, or just got done raining. So I live in, uh, specifically, I live in like the least rainy part of Washington. Uh, Oh, so you live where the sparkly vampires are not. Yes. So I live in the rain shadow of Mount Rainier. Uh, So it's rain shadow. Uh, so basically I get like, uh, four inches of, of rain a year versus like six feet or six miles to the, to the South of me, they get like 40 inches of rain. So it sounds so, like the perfect setting for some sort of urban fantasy going on. Oh, I would love to, I have a couple of stories that I have been meeting to write here actually. Uh, but Dresden files, eat your heart out. <laughs> waiting, waiting for time to write. Okay. That is always important. So now, dear listener or viewer, now that we are on the YouTubes, <laughs> as, as Bernie says, the YouTubes, uh, we get to say how we first met them. So um, I've got my mittens ready. And I actually found Xander through his sister, who I found through Seska. So that's my interesting story. But I bet, Doc, you've got something to say because you're giggling. No, it's the same thing. I met him because... I met Jay and she was like, we were talking and she, I don't, hey, if you find any other really cool authors that want to come on and do a podcast interview, yeah, you know, my brother would have a lot of fun talking with you guys. Okay. <laughs> so I think she's angling to get invited back to family dinner. So you have oh. to pick for her. I bet that's what this is about. Oh, yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. She's got all those (laughs) dietary restrictions. No one wants that. Oh, Elvis doesn't like it either. So she's going to hear this, and you're going to have some explaining to do. Uh, You know, it's what happens. I'm the older brother. No, that's how he knows she listened to it. (laughs) Exactly. If she doesn't have anything to complain about, am I really being the bigger brother? No, if she doesn't have anything to complain about, then, you know, she'll just, this way you know what she'll complain about. That's true. I, I'm the elder sibling, oldest sibling. I get it. It's but, why you're so bossy. You like it. So, Star Wars, Firefly, or Star Trek, what is your religion? All right. So, if you had asked me this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 
I would have definitely like said <laughs> Star Wars, right? I was one of those kids that camped out for two weeks for episode one. Um, absolutely just loved uh, the first the first trilogy. And then um, and then Kathleen Kennedy happened. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> we hear that a lot. Um, so yeah, just I, I have to say Firefly at this point. Um, because I just really hate what what Star Wars has become. And Star Trek is great, but it's it never never hooked me as much as Star Wars did back in the day. It was a little too utopian for me, but they did have the holodeck, and you know we'd abuse that in all kinds of ways. You know what? Star Trek was a fantastic, fantastic science fiction. Like they had like, what if one of our crew members becomes a god? What if like random we get infestations of random animals in our on our ship? So that they had better science fiction, but Star Wars was just a better fantasy. I think Star Wars was more fun and less worrying about Mm -hmm. actual plausibilities yeah but fantasy so no, we, we got plausibility with the midichlorians <laughs> the medi- implausibility no 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 um so fantasy what is your religion in fantasy potter verse lord of the rings or game of thrones um now we will judge you for this. None of the above. Okay, can so say, what would you pick? None of the above. Um, if I was going to go with real fantasy, it would be Dragonlance. Okay, fair enough. We will accept that. Uh, because that's, I mean, I loved Lord of the Rings. They're fantastic stories, but the, going back and rereading them is like shooting yourself in the head. I like the tall elves in Lord of the Rings, but I do like Dragonlance yeah. uh, a lot. Certain things. I love the Kenders. They're my favorite. Oh, the Kenders. Yeah, Kenders are great. I love the dragons in Dragonlance. I, there's a book called The Dragons that was like one of the first books of the Dragonlance series that I read. It's one of the like 13,000 offshoots that they did, which I just absolutely loved. The idea of like these these people that lived for, you know, millennium and that you kind of get like individual stories from like their growing up era as they go through, you know, the turn of time. So it's kind of getting you all a little bit off topic of dragons because we could go down that avenue forever because we all know <laughs> I like dragons. But what is what was your first love? Science fiction or fantasy? They are shut up. You're wrong. So um probably science fiction. Uh, mostly because that's what my dad gave me when I was a kid. So okay. the first the first like book that I remember ever reading as a child was Ender's Game uh, by Orson Scott Card, and I just loved the idea of, you know, a spaceship where they train soldiers, and you know, however terrible that is now that I'm an adult and like think about it, <laughs> where they're training these like child soldiers. But anyway, um, <laughs> how we see and understand things as a juvenile reader versus an adult reader is always very interesting when you go back and read those same stories. You're just like, uh, why are sometimes you sometimes you're like, so more cringy than I realize. People at a young age, I don't have as much problem with actually sending them to war. No, that's a little bit yeah. something else. Like a 12-year-old decides the fate of the world. You know, that's okay. No. <laughs> Not okay with that. You got to at least be old enough to go to boot before you. you we can even uh, it. So you're not prepared to let Viking decide the fate of the galaxy? I'm not prepared to let Viking decide the fate of his socks. <laughs> <laughs> so... And the answer is no, he doesn't wear them if he's like, given an option. Well, um, why would you? Socks are terrible. If your toes are cold. That's why you live in a place warm enough that you, your toes don't get cold. Yeah, unfortunately, he does not. I don't. I don't either. So I have to wear <laughs> socks on occasion. But <laughs> Just don't wear them with your sandals and we'll, all will be forgiven. So, so that's not allowed. Got it. Wear them with sandals. Well. Got it. Okay. No, black, no black, socks, black socks and sandals. No socks, socks okay. and sandals. Done. Isn't that what we wear when we step into the yard and we shake our fist at the sky and yell at the kids to get off our lawn? Yeah, exactly. Oh no, those are slippers. 
There's a oh, reason oh, oh, why you're you on camera. You'd break the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love about science fiction and fantasy as a genre? Um, it, there's this is going to be the same answer that everyone who I feel like does it is is the the possibilities. So I love the idea of of taking an element of our society and kind of blowing it out of proportion and saying, what if, um, you know, what if monsters spawn in your backyard and everyone gets magic powers tomorrow? What what happens then? What what do you do? How do you deal with that? Um, what if dragons were real? What if, um, you know, I got sent back to time and was on a warship in the middle of World War II, you know. Well, if you're JR, you'd fall off the boat. <laughs> so it's the what if. I like the what if. <laughs> JR. I, I, you're muted, I think, but. Well, what JR is trying to ask no, you. No, I, I was, it was freezing because I was trying to, while we were talking, download the cover of his book. For that for that part of the episode because I realized I didn't do it. Oops, uh, my bad. So, what's uh, your first memory of engaging in science fiction or, or fantasy? Uh, was it the Star Wars that you watched as a kid, or was it the Ender's Game, or was there something else? Where did you um, discover your love of the sci-fi genre? You know, now that I think about it, it was actually probably um, a children's story I read called George and the Dragon. Um, mm. that was probably my first uh, science or fantasy. Exposure, um, and it tells the story about Saint George defeating the dragon in Europe uh, or the UK specifically, I guess. Um, and I just the the concept of the knight and the 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 valorous man going out and and kind of saving the world was always has always kind of uh, struck with me, and that's been like my I don't know I like that that idea that trope. Okay. It's a good answer. Um, <clears throat> so those were, were good answers. So that's because you you write lit RPG. We're gonna we're gonna rejigger that question and say, um, what's your first memory of the blending of the lit RPG of the lit wait, RPG wait. genre? What's your first RPG? Oh, my first RPG. Gosh. Come on, Final establish your street cred. Final Fantasy Four. So, do you play tabletop RPGs as well? I do. Yeah, I, I play Pathfinder specifically now. It is one uh, e, two e, what? One e. I played a little bit of two e. I played five e. I played four. I've played three point five. I played Fate. I played Masquerade. I played everything, but a Pathfinder one e is is my go to. It's, the it's one a good I, jam. Are, are you so, satisfied with his street cred now, Saska? Did you, did you interrupted for this? Yes. Okay, we good. Okay. So what was your first uh, memory of, of the lit RPG genre? All right. So it kind of depends on how you define lit RPG. There's no like um, uh, authoritative answer on what what is lit RPG. Um, so it's either Divine Dungeon uh, by Dakota Kraut or it's Adventures on Terra by uh, R.A. Mejia. Okay. He's a uh, interesting guy. So, we interviewed him back on the old podcast. Oh, our, uh Ramon or Dakota? Ramon. Ah, Ramon. Yeah, he's a he's a fantastic. Uh, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> that that was my experience as well. So, <laughs> how did your love of the uh lit RPG genre transition into you writing stories in it? So, I started reading in um leading lit rpg in in 2015 and uh really the genre had just kind of picked up and was starting to become popular and i wanted more books and there weren't any more books so, so you made like, your own so i was like well fine i'll tell the story that i want then so i started writing um first was a dungeon core novel that uh, never really got off the ground and then i read a book uh, by tao wong called system apocalypse which was a post-apocalyptic lit RPG, uh, or an RPG apocalypse, if you will. And uh, that I just fell in love with that concept. And uh, that's what Red Mage came from. Cool. All right, you said Dungeon Core. What is that? Dungeon Core is, uh, have you ever played Overlord or... Um... I did. It was okay. 
Yeah. So the Dungeon so, Keeper was better. So mm. much better. So Dungeon Core is the concept of um, a book that was told through the con through the eyes of the dungeon. Uh, so, Clearly, I don't have as good a nerd cred as I thought I did. <laughs> so, uh, Divine Dungeon is is uh, probably the first big dungeon core that was uh, that came out, and uh, but basically, yeah, you're you're usually a, the a, a sentient rock essentially who's making um, a dungeon and kind of balances out like danger versus rewards for the adventurers and, <laughs> and building up a town around that uh, mm. that kind of exploitation of a magical resource. So, like okay. Dungeon Yeah, Dungeon okay. I love oh. that game so much. All right, like trying to out-nerd me, I get it. I will have to, I will <laughs> have to do better do. next time. So, mini author, it. go ahead. Are you, are you done mocking me? No, never. Okay. So, many authors let their own real-life experiences influence the stories they tell. So, were there any specific formidable moments that really shaped you as a storyteller? Um, there, there's so many. Uh, so, I just recently published a book called Tall Rock, which is uh, about a man who's recovering from uh, some kind of tragic real life experiences by running away and, and dealing with it in a very unhealthy way. Uh, <laughs> and I would know I think, nothing about that. I think I think my time in the military and then also a couple of real life experiences that I had with some similar tragedy, not on my part, but in, in friends of mine um, and seeing what they've gone through and seeing, you know, people in the military dealing with things in, in really inappropriate ways, especially <laughs> the difficulties of life. Um, I think that that has definitely been part of my storytelling experience um, and, and talking about how to appropriately deal with just really terrible situations, I think is, is it's something that I do in all of my stories. Um, because I because it is such an important thing to me to, so to talk you, about. Good to talk do about those, the uh, skills or bad yeah, ones. Do those those poor about, coping skills about how to fix them and how to how to how to do it better. Uh, so do those poor coping skills include like overpriced Camaros with horrible interest rates and marrying women that really don't love you and maybe you shouldn't have met in the first place if you were hanging out in decent places? Uh, yeah. Or you know, playing video games for too long and drinking too much, and uh, you know those those kind of terrible coping skills like you see in the military all days. But no, unfortunately, not any of the the buying a Corvette out of boot type coping skills. <laughs> Saskia, was that you? I locked my I I played with swords and uh, and when not doing that, locked myself in my room and did puzzles and played. Okay. I it's probably a good thing that big nerd. It's probably a good thing that Doc was sober while the rest of us weren't. <laughs> oh, I didn't say anything about that. Uh, I just <laughs> so your bio and you have mentioned that you served in the U.S. Coast Guard. So we ask all of our uh, authors who were also in the military are also military veterans this question. But how do you feel like your time as a puddle pirate affects the kind of stories you tell? <laughs> um. Uh, I think all of my, so one of the major, uh, maybe you people that had like lots of funding didn't have to deal with this, but one of the things that, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that the Coast Guard has that uh, is significantly worse than the other branches is a lack of funding and doing more with less uh, as the, the kind of the unofficial motto of the Coast Guard. Is. I thought that was the Marine Corps. <laughs> no, that's stealing from other people. I mean. No, 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 no. That's the Marine Corps is just taking the Navy shit. So that's it, it, they're, they're unofficial. Your drift is a drift. Is a, is a gift. Anything that's not bolted down is a gift. There is a drift, and anything that's not bolted down with enough time, or is bolted down, and you have enough time, is a gift. Um, yeah, we encountered some of that in Iraq. <laughs> um, so I think that uh, a lot of my stories are are dealing with um, resource scarcity and and finding creative solutions around that and that's uh stems a lot from my time in the coast guard and and you know having a, a boat that was older than i was uh to try to deal with drug traffickers and human traffickers and try to catch them in you know 30 year old equipment so do you have your uh, personnel scrounging off their fallen to retrieve 
that always irks me when I see these war movies and their buddy dies and you just leave him and like he's got a gun that still works. You're low on bullets and you left his. Why? Uh, yeah. So, absolutely. Why wouldn't you do that? You gotta you gotta loot the party members, right? So it's the. I mean, I prefer to like... think of it as continuing the mission, but sure, call it looting. <laughs> oh. It's it's always one of those things when uh, your wealth by level in a role playing game gets tipped off because someone died, and then they make a new character and they get their wealth by level, and you get all their stuff. You just sell it. You know, that, <laughs> as you do. As, that's that's the appropriate way to respond to a character death is uh, to just get the free money and move on, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, if you ever served with him and you're missing stuff, he's sorry. Um, <sighs> Or not. He, he might not be steal. sorry. I didn't steal from people. You did. You acquired it. Uh, <laughs> Tactical reacquisition. So do you ever draw uh, on people that you served with in the military? Yeah. Um, not necessarily people so much as uh, experiences. Um, there's. I, I try not to, to use wholesale stealing of personalities from people, but I do like to take moments. Um, I, I remember one time I was a non-raid on the boat. And uh, I was mess cooking that morning and I was serving the breakfast mess. And uh, this late, uh, one of the officers came in and I was like, well, would you like bacon, ma'am? And she's like, I'm Jewish. I was like, okay, do you want bacon? Because <laughs> <laughs> half, the, half the crew was like half the Jewish people on the, on the crew wanted bacon. Um, I think it should, it's good. Bacon uh, I, I will admit, I know a lot of Jewish people who they don't eat pork except for bacon. And I was just like, I don't, I don't care what your religion is. I just asked if you wanted bacon. Like, <laughs> that's, uh, so stuff like that gets put in my books of these, these just weird moments where people do weird things. I think those are, those are a free game. Fair enough. People, I try not to do people wholesale. Unless you have permission, of course, for legal reasons. If you're right, listening, yes. so so we've talked a little bit about how the your time in the service affects the stories you tell, but how has it changed the kind of stories you read since you've got, had that experience and gotten out? Oh gosh, um, so I read I I've, I've for a fairly long time was reading a large amount of uh, military fiction, uh, military science fiction. Um, you know, uh, there's a great book, and I didn't realize I didn't realize how much I. I loved this book until I kind of researched the author a little more and realized that he was also a former Coastie. Um, but Elliot Kay has a book called Poor Man's Fight, which is amazing. Um, and, the, and I was like, man, this is so much like my experiences in boot camp and so much like, and then I found out he was a Coastie. I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Um, so I read a lot more uh, military based fiction. Um, Honor Harrington or, or things like that, where it's it's um, talking about war, talking about you know large scale fighting. Well, and Harrington <laughs> has a couple of scenes that are particularly in On Basilisk Station that are very Coast Guard esque. Oh yeah, yeah, no, uh, and and I think that's just Navy in general. Um, but Basilisk Station is an interesting one because it's because uh, it is such a like a small so conflict. Like it's just one ship in the middle of nowhere, which is very much what the Coast Guard almost always is. Oh yeah. So that's um, um before it got too deep in roll pods and staff meetings. No, on Basilisk Station is the first book. I yeah. know, that's how I said before it got too deep on the rolling pods and staff meetings. Well, yeah, the missile pods and the Don't just just look at David and go, waves of missile. <laughs> Can't sum it up. Waves of missiles. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of stopped reading those after they got into like the super soldier Geno engineering. Uh, after the the Haven fight, really, after it stopped being about Haven, I stopped. Oh. I stopped more because I, I had to switch just because life. I was switched mostly to audio, <laughs> and I just didn't like the narrators they picked. And the in the audiobooks had the feel of like they were recorded on VHS maybe, and then copied the copy of a oh. copy, and then they loaded them onto Audible. Did did they just not? They, I, I heard of an interesting station from David Weber about um, Manticaran. Mantikaran, sorry, Mantikaran. So Mantikaran. In the first book, he uh, was doing a pronunciation guide for the narrator, and he wrote Mantikaran 
for Manticoran. Not even David says it like that. Yeah, no, that's no, what he's saying. That was the mistake that the uh, narrator yeah, he, did. Yeah, so no, no, David sent it as a pronunciation guide to the narrator and said it is pronounced Manticoran. Well, that's why he has the B9 people. They just do that for him now. And and so there's a like a there's a there's a uh, a disclaimer on the first Audible book that says, "Hey, uh, I said this wrong, and it's all my fault, and <laughs> I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get that with some of the older classic books. They don't always update the audio, and then you know the high tech like audio. In I don't know, I'm not an audio engineer, but the difference between that and then what we have now, yeah, for sure, is so so different. And so sometimes the translation is just <laughs> kind of crap like the, the the tech side but anyway all right this is your fun fandom questions yes fandom questions okay so have you had any cool fan art or a cosplay of one of your characters yet no i would love that i'm i'm not a so i'm a um I, shoot I remember, there's the word i i'm not a mind blind person but i mm -hmm. very much don't describe things very much because i don't picture things when i'm reading Okay. Um, so I, I think that the reason I don't get a lot of art is because I don't describe a lot of things and I've been trying to fix that. Um, but So do you picture them when you go to sleep? Because I've read books where it's like I can't seem to picture it and then I go to sleep and it's all there. I'm a lucid dreamer. So uh, I always like I'll, I'll picture like I'll, I'll figure out plot points in my sleep because <laughs> uh, I can just go through situations and, and, and figure out what like what I'm trying to do in the next point but i don't really review in my sleep now um so, but i would okay. love i would love art anyone is listening to this i would love art that'd be freaking awesome so he wants art and a cosplay would be cool but have you had anyone ask for your autograph in public away from a book signing or a convention uh no the closest i got was i was wearing my press's hat my, my i published through Mountain Dale Press, and uh, mm -hmm. some guy asked me if I if I knew had read Divine Dungeon, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I know Dakota pretty well." And he's like, "I was like, have you read any of the other books in that in that in there from them?" And they're like, "No." I was like, "Oh, you, you should." And then I was like, "I write one of them. I wrote one of them." He's like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll think about it." I was like, "Okay, good." Uh, but other than that, it's just like I have. Oh, uh, burn! <laughs> I have uh, like a friend who, whose whose dad had me sign a book when I went over to their house. So that was probably the closest I've gotten. Oh, that's cute. So, so have you spotted someone reading a one of your books in the wild? Uh, I don't. I don't. I think I've sold like six physical, physical copies books. of books. So I don't know if I would even. Oh, know you, if you've they sold were. more eBooks, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I was like, trying to worry for you. <laughs> yeah, physical I've books really take up like six point... books. Sounds really uh, concerning. No, it's more than six, but it's like it's uh, physical copies are less than a percent of a percent of my total sales. Okay. So it's so it's hard to to say if I have or not because almost everything's ebook these days. So, what is the weirdest or funniest fan interaction you've had? Uh... This could. Even be like what you were saying you had happened at Dragon Con. <laughs> so I had, I had, I was at Dragon Con and we, Mountain Dale Press had a booth there. So I was manning the booth and um, I was, I think I actually went to go grab some food because uh, none of us had eaten in like 18 hours and that was a bad that, thing. As, as one does at Dragon Con. Right. So I went to go get food and these guys followed me um, to the, through the, like the line to grab the food. And then as I was went to pay, they actually grabbed my, my bill for me. And they're Aww. like, you're Xander, right? And I was like, yes, how do you know that? And then they're like, oh, I've read your book. And I was like, oh, okay. So they followed me from the Mountain Tales Press's booth because they were too afraid to talk to me at the booth and then paid for my my uh, food, which was pretty great. So That is very, very sweet. So uh, I'm waiting for him to get the people who think it's real. Because, uh, I mean, after Larry, I, I really want to get more of those stories. Oh, gosh. Are there, like, for Monster Hunters, Inc.? Uh, no. He, what was it? It was the uh, the guy that was with Lizard him. Lizard people. Um, it, was, uh, it was John Brown. Brown. It was John, John Brown. Brown. 
Uh, oh man. He had a fan have that happen. Um who believed there that the lizard a people were authors who had that happen to them. Ringo's had that happen to him, or City's Lackey. None of those those are all like they don't write contemporary fiction. Um <laughs> I had a fan at Dragon Con who tried to explain to me the genetics of Pern dragons and how they work and don't work. And I'm like, oh. you um um uh, okay. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm sure so, someone has done that work for Mercedes or Anne. Sorry. So the the trick is, I guess, you got to write conspiracy theory stuff so that way you get the, the, well, the people my, to come out. It was Pern. There's no conspiracy. Maybe my next book will be a conspiracy. They'll, they'll get that. I'm writing a. Uh, a Just make Alex day. Jones your your antagonist <laughs> or protagonist, whatever. I don't judge. No, it's a so it's a it's a it's a. Athletic uh, lit RPG thriller. Okay, what does athletic mean in this? Term? So it's it's about a basketball player. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like making the workout. <laughs> he does work. He does do a lot of working out. Uh, uh, that's actually a very common trope in lit RPG in general, uh, where you have these training montages. The boot camp um, yeah. sequence. Okay. Yeah, because you grind, like, because it's a video games. It's like grinding is a thing in video Gamers games. Gamers start badly is... so fit. Yeah, so grinding is a thing in lit RPGs. All right, so this is the part where you tell us about all the amazing books you've written. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, uh, how how long do you want these? Like, do you want as long as you've got? Lay it on. Okay. All right. So Red Mage is a series about a guy who lives in D.C. Uh, and works in a, a government bunker. Um, he's in the Coast Guard for some strange reason. And uh, he wakes up one day. Well, he's he's at watch and uh, all the power goes out and he's stuck in the middle of a, of a bunker and monsters are spawning and he got magical powers. Uh, and his efforts to rebuild civilization after um, monsters kill everybody. But him, so not everybody, just everybody. Well, most 90%, 95% of everybody. Um, and then Talrock is, or Farming Livia, I guess I should say. Talrock is the name of the book. Farming Livia is the name of the series. Uh, is about a guy who decides to uh, join a VR MMO and be a agriculturalist on a frontier westward expansion like frontier world um in a game uh, to to escape from his real life problems so when you say in a game are they like playing the game and they get sucked in they know like how does that work for for what you write yeah he, well so there's a lot of them a lot of them like do the sword art online thing where they gets they stuck they're stuck in the game uh it's very low stakes, very low um, risk. Uh, my my book is anyway. Uh, so they, he just plays the game, and that's the story: is him playing the game and his real life outside of it. Um, okay. So while those all sound fascinating, today we're going to talk about your Red Mage series, and more specifically, Book One, Advent. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea for the series? Was it psychedelics, uh, Ouija board, overindulging in the drugs you captured when you were in the Coast Guard? We don't judge. Statute of limitations is applied. I mean, burning day was always a good day in the Coast Guard. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just stands around the fence and watches the marijuana burn. It's, you know, it's a, it's a good day. Um, no, um, so Red Mage uh, was started off as a uh, idea of, you know, um, I'd, I, like I said earlier, I just read uh, System Apocalypse, or yeah, System Apocalypse by Tao Wong, which is a, a, a similar premise in that the world becomes infested with mana and monsters start appearing. And so I kind of took a fork of my life and said, okay, what would happen if monsters start appearing, you know, three years ago when I was in, in DC and stuck in this bunker um and got magical powers and could like cast fireballs out of my hand uh so kind of developed from there i made up a the magic system which is kind of roughly based on final fantasy 7 and path of exile um where you get magical gems that give you skills that you then use to kill stuff uh and uh 
about two days later, I had the first three or four chapters and went on from there. All right. So before we let Saskia dive into the questions about the story itself, she likes these questions. Uh, we've got to talk about that cover, which is on the screen for if you can't see it. Uh, so where did the idea, like, where did the, what's the story of this this art? Because it's very evocative. I do enjoy the the way it was laid out. So so how did this art come to be? So um, if you've ever seen Nathan Fillion, Nathan Fillion's recreation of like he did a, a 15 minute um, short movie of uh, what's the movie the game called uh, Nathan Drake um, Uncharted. So Nathan Fillion did a, a short uh, movie about Uncharted and there's a scene in the movie in that short that he does where it, it zooms in to Nathan oh, like over Nathan's shoulder like you're playing the game of Uncharted and he like starts shooting the guys. And I just love that concept of over the shoulder, like video game-esque. Uh, and I wanted to use that as a way of portraying that this is a, a lit RPG. Uh, and you're, so you're seeing it like you're the player viewing the their their character. Uh, and then this is just a scene in the, in the book. Okay. Saska gets to have her happy time with these questions. <laughs> and hopefully okay. she won't stab herself with that knife she's got. <laughs> A knitting needle this time. <laughs> so, um, what would be your 30 second elevator pitch for the book? 30 second elevator pitch would be what would you do if monsters start spawning in your backyard and you got magical powers to fight them? How would that change your world and what would you do to, or what, uh, what would your new rules be? So, and, okay, uh, so a little critique of that. If you're going to do this again in advance, because you know you get the questions in advance, you have to practice that in the movie trailer voice. Oh, and say in a world. And you in a world. This. I can't do the world, in, but in a world where monsters spawn in your backyard, you wake up and magic powers are at your fingertips. What will you do? I, I approve. That's better than I could have done. And you might have a secondary career path opening up to you. <laughs> yeah. Luke Daniels, eat your heart out. He's got you. <laughs> oh, I definitely no, no, not as good as Luke for sure. <laughs> he does some good stuff though. I like Luke. He does. Uh, so what makes your series special and unique out of all of the uh, RPG stuff out there? I, I, um, Obviously, I think that I'm special and unique in every way, and and everything about it is unique and special. You're a special flower. Um, I think the the two things that kind of set it up as being really unique is the magic system, which is is different from any other magic system I've ever seen in a book. Um, in that you have these magical constellations, and you get these crystals, and they link together, and uh, so you get uh, so the main character has a fireball spell. Um, he puts it in a constellation and he gets a cone of cold spell as well. And they link together to make a cone of frost fire and then a frost fire fireball um, or a frost fireball. That's neat. Uh, so I think that the magic system is by far and away more unique than anything else that I've see seen so, or unique in, in, in literature anyway. So we've I've talked to a couple of lit RPG authors and there seems to be an approach of going very like, where are you on the stats are you heavy or light or in the middle especially since you have such a unique magic system so i um am terrible with numbers i think we we mentioned this earlier today when uh we did a that we were i was supposed to show up and i was like oh, i'm converting it between eastern and pacific time and i showed up an hour early and they're like uh we're not ready yet uh, i'm terrible at, at mental math so i wanted to get away from from having to do math as much as possible so there are no numbers in red mage um uh it's it's a so it, it's on that regard it's a very creamy system as they as some people say i hate that term <laughs> it makes me think of light food method. well it's supposed to be a creamy versus crunchy uh like peanut butter comparison right um, peanut butter we'll go with that Sure. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Jr. You just made it. Just put weird thoughts in my head. Um, 
so uh, yeah, it's it's very light, uh, light on numbers. Uh, the system is involved, but um, it's all involved in the concept of um, non-numeric in involvement. So it's okay. uh, so you have a, a very large number of possibilities, and it's using limited resources um, in unique and, and and unusual ways. So, what tropes do you think Red Mage hits the best? Um, so he is a bit of a glass cannon or a lancer, if you, mm -hmm. if you know those archetypes, the main character, um, a little bit of a loose gun, I think is the TV tropes name for it is a, a person who kind of operates outside of authority. Um, which is also funny because he asks, he's, he's in the military. So there's an, another military one. Um, and, but he has very few commanding officers are still alive. So he's he's sort of the highest in command, um, but not really. Uh, you may just think he is. <laughs> so so does he say, "Look at me, I am the captain now." <laughs> no, there is a person who does that though. Um, so he does <laughs> he, midway through the book. He he meets up with other survivors, and uh, one of them is a is a navy captain, and uh, he's a just a complete dick to Drew because Drew is a E five. <laughs> And he's just like, what are you doing? I'm in charge. And he's like, ah, but you're in a cell and I was the one that came and rescued you. So maybe I'll handle the operational aspect of things. And he's like, no, I'm in charge. And you're like, but no. Uh... <laughs> I think we have all known somebody who is like that. I think my favorite quote about the chain of command is still, the chain of command is the chain I beat you with till you realize I'm in command. <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, I'll be in my bunk. That was Firefly. <laughs> yes, I know. And Jane is definitely not in the chain of command. <laughs> but he should be. Do you want to run this ship? Yes. Well, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to Red Maze, because we're here to pimp your book. Okay, so, uh, so we've covered the tropes. So which... Jared loves making me ask this question. Which subgenre or genres do you think your story best fits into? So uh, obviously lit RPG is considered a, a subgenre to some people. Um, so lit RPG is the genre. Um, it fits. It's clearly in the, the lit RPG apocalypse or the RPG apocalypse sub subgenre of, uh, of lit RPG, which is um, the system gets introduced to earth type stories. Um, yeah, those are the, those are the genres that it would go. So post-apocalyptic would be like a side genre, uh, urban fantasy without the, um, uh, love triangle aspects <laughs> of, of urban fantasy. Um, so yeah, the, those would be the kind of the major ones. Okay. So what makes your main character just stand out among all of them is it the real world experience you're bringing into them i hope so gosh uh so uh um, there are many vets in the lit rpg field there's surprisingly large amounts of us actually i would say probably 30 to 40 percent of the writers in the literature actually genre. yeah no i take that back i'm remembering the panel for dragon <laughs> con and i'm like wait no he was he was he was he was oh never mind i'm an idiot <laughs> so there's a lot of us who are vets. I think a lot. But of most us, of them are short, like in height, or short, like career-wise. No, short height-wise. Yeah, but I you're an Amazon, that. so that doesn't count. <laughs> but I'm, I'm small. Not, tr truth be told, I'm not actually six foot. So no. we don't. It's all right. Nobody will know. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess they are short. I'm short myself, so I, I don't. So you no. just got to write a few bestsellers and sit on your wallet and you'll be as tall as you need to be. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I said, money, money solves all of your attractiveness problems, right? <laughs> Chairs screwed. Sorry. Ooh. Yeah. Ouch. You wound me. All right. <laughs> back to his book. We're going to talk about his main character. Um, okay. So tell us about your main character. So Drew is uh, kind of an everyman. Um, I like to think that he's a, a rational person, kind of in a, in a very weird, irrational world. Um, he's, I like to think that he's very relatable. Um, uh, he he doesn't do everything right. He doesn't do everything, you know, the 
best way, but he is efficient and effective at getting things done. Uh, in the story, he's um, kind of a unique class called a red mage, which is a very offensive magic caster. So he's um, got a lot of offensive spells. He can do a, dish out a lot of damage in a very short amount of time, but not very good at anything melee related. So he kind of has to rely on other people to stand in front of him while he so don't touch fireballs. <laughs> so don't touch him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think it's it's nice. He does have his strengths, but he's also got very obvious weaknesses, uh, which is is a great um, compromise, I think, in as far as the overpowered character trope goes. Okay. Next question is you too. Uh, and I know it is. So what? Um secondary characters really stand out that you want to tell us about today i mean there's got to be somebody other than just drew and the uh navy lieutenant from annoyingness captain yeah so um gosh there's so many um so in book two this is probably one of my favorite um military jokes is uh he runs across a marine unit in book two and uh one of the characters in there had got a Zathrite. Zathrites are the name of the crystals, which allows him to make crayons into weapons. And so all of the Marines oh, are carrying God. around a bunch of crayons that they use as throwing knives. That is um, awesome. And then as, as he gets more uh, skilled, they actually become uh, edible for buffs. So they, they all like all the cray all the Marines start eating these, these crayons to like go into war. Did you put that in specifically <laughs> for James Hunter? <laughs> no, I put it in for every Marine I've ever met. But <laughs> so somewhere in the Pentagon, someone's frantically scribbling notes with ideas <laughs> for, for the next R and D project. <laughs> yeah. Edible crayon department uh, buffs. Um, and I, uh, so there's, those guys are, are great. Uh, there's a guy named Bill who um, is a chief in the Navy and he's a healer. Um, and he, Drew is on a kind of in midway through book one. He's on a quest to find someone to go help the rest of the people in his party because they're all unconscious or dying. Um, and he finds Bill and he brings him back. And he's got a his uh, his ability is called Daddy's Embrace that he uses to uh, that to sounds heal people. Creepy. <laughs> Does um, he have a white van and offer them candy first? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, the vans are gone. No, so it's a. Uh, and you find out that he lost his children and he was like a very Aww. dedicated father. And so Bill's got this kind of, um, everyone has lost something in the apocalypse. Right. Uh, but Bill is, a, is great because he's got, uh, he's got all these abilities. Like he's, his, his other ability is like a blanket fort that he can build that makes it like a safe spot in the middle of the apocalypse. He uh, built safe spaces. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So uh, there's there's a lot of great characters. I think uh, uh, the team is is a very uh, interesting dynamic. He because Drew can't do anything everything on his own. He was very reliant on his team. Um, there's another character who has a chain chomp on his ankle that he uses to fight, like from Mario Brothers. Okay. Okay, that's unique. <laughs> So I think there's lots of lots of unique and interesting towers and or talents and powers and uh, secondary characters that are based around those. All right. So what about bad guys? Is it just the monsters, or, or are there larger bad guys they have to fight? Um, for the Obviously, most part, it's, no it's, spoilers. For the most part, it's it's um, monsters. Obviously, as uh, anyone in positions of power previous to this is DC. It does take place in D.C., so there's lots of people who were very important prior to uh, the apocalypse happening who think that they should be in power again, even though they have no real... Funny how that works. Uh, ...authority or, or reason to be still in power. So there's there's a couple of uh, human elements where people think that they might make right or uh, you know their previous positions are still relevant. 
Fair enough. Now, this is the uh, normally Seska's question because she loves asking it, but we all know that authors do horrible things to their characters, evil, dirty, rotten things, and they make them suffer so. So if you met your characters in a back alley uh, on some dark, shady night, and they found out you were Xander Boyce, author of their peril and turmoil, what would they do to you? Uh, they would very politely ask me why, I think. Um, and then uh, maybe have a have some nickels ready and some socks. All right. Blanket party. I can approve of that. All right. So this is the question that we get to ask you how the sausage was made. So were there any cool scenes or ideas that got cut from the book? Because you published this with a, with a small press. So obviously your publisher gets a little bit of a say sometimes in, in the final product. So were there any cool scenes that got cut that, uh, that you want to share with us a little bit that didn't make it off the chopping floor? Um... I don't think so. Um, Mountain Dell is great in that they're very uh, open to, there's a couple of things that I had to kind of rework, but they're all based, all the scenes that I planned and wanted in, in the book have made it into the, the series. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a huge editing process. Like some, some people do, like they'll go back and rewrite the book six or seven times. I don't understand that's, that at all either. That's not me. <laughs> so uh, I think no. everything, everything made it in. Um, there were a couple scenes that I wanted to put in like while I was planning it, but, but uh, couldn't figure out a way to do in the system, like in the world, but uh, they didn't actually get written. So you want to tell us about a few of those real quick? If you've got any that you could, or what the the coolest one that, that you had to cut from the outline. Um, so there's a scene where um, Drew is fighting. Uh, he's going through a, a underground dungeon, and they're fighting a, a monster. And uh, originally, I was going to have him like attack these icicles that are hanging from the ceiling and have them drop but i couldn't figure out a way to get it to work uh, so that's probably the the closest so we, we it ended up actually being a really tragic response to that because his his plan didn't work um but uh yeah that was the scene i wanted to have happen i wanted to have like the the icicle destroying the mo monster and it just didn't work. All right. So finally, let's talk a little bit about the universe. You've told us some about the apocalypse comes, the monsters arrive. Uh, sometimes we are our own monsters. Um, and many worlds, the story is, is that the, the story, the world that the story happens in is as much a protagonist. So other than what you've already told us, is there anything else uh, about the world that would be of interest to someone saying, hey, this maybe sounds like it's my jam? So... Um... As Drew gets further into like understanding why this apocalypse happened, uh, he discovers that uh, he has kind of been inducted into this order of the dragons, by, which is a military order, uh, but an intergalactic human civilization that has kind of created Earth as a petri dish for soldiers. And uh, he kind of meets some of these um, mythical beings that uh uh you know all of like he meets uh he meets uh, uh some ancient roman gods that are real people out in the multiverse that are you know um generals in this army and kind of uh, so i like the uh so i guess kind of the the idea is that there's all of the myths and all of the religions that we have on earth are have a basis in in that multiverse's reality where you have Loki and Ares and Hades and uh, Isis out in the world. All right, next. So uh, I know. Um, so this is a series. I know so because the internet told me so. Um, <laughs> are there's current and there's currently two books. So. How many books do you think there's going to be? Will there be more of these characters? Where do you see it going? What's next? So the the first arc is going to be five. I plan five books. Sorry, five books. Well, um, there might be more to Drew's story after those five books, but I kind of want to get those five books started first and then finished and, and uh, move on from there. Awesome. And then, um, so... Obviously, 
this is you have your own rules and magic but what sort of magic would you pull from this to have in real life oh gosh um he has a spell called invigorate which is basically the best form of coffee you could ever ask for um it, <laughs> it uh it makes it so you never have to sleep and you always feel fresh and 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 healthy i need that i need uh, that in my life where is that i would that? love to have that uh it's kind of a ridiculously overpowered ability to be honest so how would you abuse that in real life if you had it? Uh, I would never sleep. I would, uh, I mean, I guess I don't sleep very much anyway, but yeah, just, I would always be in perfect health and like perfect awareness. So that would make uh, conventions much more fun, right? You would never have to like, be like, it's 2 AM. I need to go get like the two hours of sleep that I'm going to get tonight so that I can be awake at five in the morning to, uh, you know, man the booth or whatever get breakfast before the the parade starts <laughs> okay so when you mentioned that you have some fantastic creatures and some aliens um how did you go about making those did you create them out of whole cloth did you look at mythology books did you just stay up way too late at night and not get any sleep for like four days <laughs> all of the above um so i have I, I i like to draw from pretty much everywhere um so uh there's monsters that are like giant fire breathing crocodiles or um printers or like because you know they take elements of the the environment that they're in and they change the mad magic and, and they become bigger so there's like massive spiders and massive rats uh no no spiders no giant <laughs> spiders cockroaches are okay but no spiders huh i don't like those either <laughs> um lady has to have standards so you do that and then you also do just uh there's also a card game that i have that's like uh it was made as a for a creatives to do and it, it you pull like different cards out and it gives you like a like a element and like a form and like a location so you can kind of use that to make make monsters um uh some a lot of them are from mythology like trolls or um naga or you know things like that uh orcs Nice. The only good orc is a dead orc, just so you know. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've played a couple of half good. Well, I guess they're half orcs. See? Thrall was a good orc. Was he? Was he, though? I mean, yeah. Better, okay. better standards of good. So send your hate mail to Jay Boy, said. <laughs> yeah, do that. Do that. that obviously. <laughs> as you do so clearly this is winding down you told us all about advent and the red mage series and uh we will link his all of his stuff in the show notes so if you want to check it out if this sounds interesting you can go click that buy all button and if they don't have it yet they really should uh and then when amazon creates it they'll, they'll just pay us a little bit of a royalty for giving them the idea because <laughs> i'm sure no one else has thought of that before but uh was there anything about red advent or excuse me red mage or advent book one that you wanted to tell us that we didn't ask. Um, hmm. Anything I wanted to tell you that you didn't ask. Um, no, no. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, you will enjoy it. There's the, the lit RPG genre, lit RPG genre in general is, is built for uh, our time. I think it's, it's a, it's a great, um, mixture of, of playing the games that we don't want or that we don't have available to us currently and uh, and the, the fantasies that we've always wanted and uh, yeah I just life is great and uh, advent is, is is an enjoyable read that you should read that you all right is it out in all the formats ebook audiobook yep. paperback paperback everything uh, print on demand from Amazon 
So you can do it in anything but hardback, hardcover. So. Okay. That'll be coming if you just pay him enough money. I'm sure he can make that happen <laughs> for you. Uh, and uh, I'm sure for the right fee, he'll even drive to you and read it to you in person. No, no, that's Jason. That's, that's Jason Asnatch. Not that. That's how you get miseried. I, I will not do that. <laughs> He's gonna love how you mispronounce his name. By the way. All right. So uh, oh, we, yeah, it's uh, on Spock. On Spock. It doesn't look like it's spelt. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm you know, special. Special. It's they, they do, special. They do weird things out in, uh, where he's at in, in Paola. So, you know, whatever. But clearly this interview is winding down. So <laughs> can you tell us, Sander, how our dear listeners and viewers can find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Yeah. Uh, so you can get me on uh, Facebook with uh, uh, author Xander Boyce. Uh, you can do Patreon at uh, DM Xanadu, X-A-N-D-A-D. I can't spell because spelling is hard out loud. X-A-N-D-A-U. Yeah, sure. That sounds right. Um, and then uh, that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't do any of the other social medias because I'm old and think it's weird. <laughs> Uh, it is weird. All right. You can find <laughs> us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. You can find us on the Twitters at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. Science fiction underscore fantasy underscore show. See, there's a trend here, people. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We even sometimes remember to check it. We have the Blasters and Blades Facebook group at facebook.com backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. And if you can support the show and help keep the lights on and that sacred bean water flowing, it's buymeacoffee.com backslash slash oh i can speak uh, author jr hanley and make sure you put in the comment section that it's for the podcast and that is where it shall go all right saska save me from myself <laughs> never thank you for spending some of your precious time with us are the absent comic artist uh nick garber J the crazy jr hanley i'm saska this was the blasters and blades podcast We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and picking on JR. Mm, as you do. <laughs> <laughs>